0: and thank you for standing by. Welcome to the Roku 3rd Quarter 2023 Earnings Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you'll need to press star 1-1 on your touchtone telephone. You will then hear an automated message advising your hand is raised. To withdraw your question, please press star 1-1 again. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded. I would now like to hand the conference over to your host today, Conrad Groth Vice President of Investor Relations. Please go ahead.
1: Thank you, operator. Good afternoon, and welcome to Roku's third quarter 2023 earnings call. I'm joined today by Anthony Wood, Roku's Founder and CEO, and Dan Jetta our CFO. Also in today's call for Q&A are Charlie Collier, President Roku Media, and Mustafa Osgan, President Devices. For Full details of our results and additional management commentary are available in our shareholder letter, which can be found on our Investor Relations website at roku.com forward slash investor. Our comments and responses to your questions on this call reflect management's views as of today only, and we disclaim any obligation to update this information. On this call, we'll make forward-looking statements, which are predictions, projections, or other statements about future events, such as our financial outlook, our commitment to positive adjusted EBITDA for full year 2024, and continued improvements thereafter, our investments, future market conditions, and macro environment uncertainties. These statements are based on our current expectations, forecasts, and assumptions, and involve risks and uncertainties. Please refer to our shareholder letter and periodic SEC filings for risk factors that could cause our actual results to differ materially from these forward-looking statements. We'll also discuss certain non-GAAP financial measures on today's call. Reconciliations to the most comparable GAAP financial measures are provided in our shareholder letter. Finally, unless otherwise stated, all comparisons on this call will be against the results of the comparable period of 2022. Now, I'd like to hand the call over to Anthony. Thanks, Don Red. We are executing well as the shift to TV streaming continues and delivered a strong
2: quarter. We grew our scale with net ads of 2.3 million active accounts, an acceleration from the previous quarter. We drove strong engagement with streaming hours surpassing 100 billion for the first time on a trailing 12-month basis. And the Roku channel remains a top 10 streaming app with engagement comparable to Paramount+, Plus, Peacock, and Max, according to Nielsen. On the monetization side, platform revenue was up 18% year over year, reflecting strong contribution from content distribution and video advertising. We continue to tap into new ad demand sources and are now integrated with more than 30 programmatic partners. Spend on the Roku platform through automated third-party demand sources in Q3 grew meaningfully year over year. And we expanded our partnerships with marquee brands this quarter. With Spotify, we introduced video ads in the Spotify app on Roku devices. And with the NFL, we launched the first league branded zone in the Roku sports experience. We continued to make progress in reducing our year over year OPEX growth rate. In September, we announced additional measures that included a reduction of our workforce and office facilities and the removal of select content. These measures and other cost reductions, along with our strong top line growth, enabled us to deliver adjusted EBITDA of 43 million in Q3. Going forward, we will balance investment for growth with our commitment to positive adjusted EBITDA for the full year 2024. And we expect continued adjusted EBITDA improvements after that. With our growing scale and engagement, relentless focus on providing the best TV streaming experience and ongoing innovation, we are well positioned as the ad market recovers. Now I'll turn it over to Dan to discuss our results. Thanks, Anthony.
3: We ended the quarter with 75.8 million active accounts globally, up 16% year-over-year. Sequential net ads of 2.3 million accelerated quarter over quarter. Overall, Smart TV unit sales in the US were up year over year in Q3, driven by a consumer focus on value that benefited Roku, which grew significantly faster than the overall industry. Roku player unit sales were made above pre-COVID levels, and the average Roku player selling price was up 2% year over year. Roku users streamed 26.7 billion hours in the quarter, an increase of 22% year-over-year while viewing hours on traditional pay TV fell 15%. Streaming hours per active account per day of 3.9 was up 5% year-over-year. In Q3, total net revenue increased 20% year-over-year to 912 million. Platform revenue was up 18% year-over-year to 787 million driven by both content distribution and video advertising offset by lower media and entertainment promotional spend. Content distribution activities grew faster than overall platform revenue, benefited from increased subscription signups along with recent price increases from SBOD partners. Similar to Q2 2023, platform revenue and gross profit also benefited from a positive 606 adjustment from changes in forecasts of our content distribution deals. Q3 devices revenue increased 33% year over year, driven by the launch of our Roku branded TVs and smart home products. In Q3, ARPU was approximately $41 on a trailing 12 month basis, down 7% year over year, but up quarter over quarter for the first time since Q3 of last year. We expect ARPU to benefit in future periods from a recovery in the ad industry. In Q3, gross profit was $369 million, up 3% year-over-year. Excluding the restructuring and impairment charges, gross profit was up 22% year-over-year. Platform gross margin was 48%, down five points sequentially, driven primarily by a $62 million impairment charge related to the removal of select licensed and produced content from the Roku channel. Excluding the impairment charge, platform gross margin would have been 56%, a three-point increase sequentially. Devices margin was negative 8%, which was up nearly 10 points sequentially. Huge adjusted EBITDA was positive 43 million. The better-than-expected performance was driven by strong top-line growth, along with cost reductions and measures we announced in September to further reduce our year-over-year OPEX growth rate. Pre-cash flow for Q3 was positive 239 million, and we ended the quarter with over 2 billion in cash and restricted cash. Looking to the fourth quarter, we anticipate total net revenue of 955 million, up 10% year over year. gross profit of 405 million, with gross margin of 42%, and positive adjusted EBITDA of 10 million. Within the platform segment, we had a solid rebound in video ads in Q3, and we expect year-over-year growth rate of video ads in Q4 to be similar. However, we remain cautious amid an uncertain macro environment and an uneven ad market recovery. Ad verticals like CPG and health and wellness continue to improve, while verticals like financial services and m and remain challenged. Additionally, we will face difficult year-over-year growth rate comparisons and content distribution and m which will challenge the year over year growth rate of platform revenue in Q4. Within devices segment, we expect device margins to be down sequentially in line with historical seasonal trends, but up year over year. We anticipate both the sequential point decrease and the year over year point increase to be in the low teens. As a reminder, Q4 is traditionally a heavier promotional period in the retail calendar Resulting in lower device margins in the quarter relative to other quarters. Turning to OpEx, we anticipate Q4 year-over-year growth in the negative mid team a significant improvement from OpEx year-over-year growth of approximately 70% in Q4 of last year. We will continue to operate our business with discipline to defend margins with a focus on driving positive free cash flow over time. Additionally, we remain committed to achieving positive adjusted EBITDA for full year 2024 with continued improvements after that. We will balance this commitment with investments to further expand our scale, engagement and monetization. With that, let's take questions. Operator?
0: As a reminder to ask a question, please press star one one on your touchstone telephone and wait for your name to be announced. To withdraw your question, please press star one one again. Please stand by while we compile the Q&A roster. Our first question will come from the line of Corey Carpenter with J.P. Morgan.
1: Hey, thanks for the question. I'm um,
3: hoping hope you go a bit deeper, just into the different trends you're seeing across many up fronts in the scattered markets. Uh, Charlie, maybe specifically for you, anything that you would call out on, on uh, impact from geopolitical events in 4Q, and then Dan, maybe if you could just
0: tie it all together and to have those kind of various cross-currents Got you to your 4Q guide. Thank you.
2: Hey, Corey, thanks. This is Anthony. So, um, yep, Charlie will take that first part of that question and Dan the second part.
4: Thanks, Anthony, and hey, Corey, I hope you will. Uh You know, I... I'll start in second quarter. You know, we saw a continued rebound in video advertising from second quarter into third quarter. And in third quarter, year-on-year growth of video advertising on Roku actually outperformed the overall ad market and the linear ad market in in the US. So while we're optimistic about the ongoing rebound in video advertising on our platform, uh, we remain cautious about the uncertain macro environment and the uneven ad market recovery by category. Actually, Corey, for instance, uh, CPG and health and wellness are growing and doing quite well, but there are still categories like financial services and insurance that are not recovering as quickly. And you mentioned M&E. You know, I expect M&E to be further pressured in fourth quarter by, of course, the limited fall release schedules uh, because of labor strikes. And, you know, there are some challenging comps. Last year, if you remember, included the World Cup and a healthy seasonal and full theatrical schedule, uh, and and more. So I'd say sort of trend-wise, we we had a solid, really solid uh, rebound in video ads in third quarter. And though there are the ups and downs I mentioned, we're executing well, and I fully expect the year-on-year growth rate of video ads in fourth quarter to be similar to third Dan, you wanna?
3: Yeah, hi, hi, Corey. Thanks for the question. I'll, let me just tie that, uh, what Charlie just said, into how it impacts uh, the Q4 guide. Uh, yes, we did have a very solid video ads uh, rebound in Q3. We do expect, as Charlie said, the year-over-year growth rate in video ads to be similar in Q4. And he also um, uh, you know, said that we remain cautious and uncertain for the macro environment, the uneven ad market recovery, Um, I do want to add that we also do face a difficult year-over-year growth rate comparison in content distribution and M&E, and that that does challenge the sequential growth rate change from Q3 to Q4. We had a very strong Q3 in our content distribution activities. That comp gets harder in Q4, and that's factored into our guide. Um, And so from a sequential basis, when you look at Q4 2023 growing slower than Q3 2023, some of that is this this, uh, harder comp and some of it is timing. If you look at our H2 compared to H1 of this year relative to our H2 compared to H1 of last year, you'll see a nine-point sequential change in the second half of 2023 relative to 2022. Um, So that's also playing into the guide. And I'll just end by saying we expect to demonstrate further leverage in our business um, while well our outlook – with an outlook that calls for double-digit increase year-on-year year in gross profit and a double-digit decrease year-over-year year in OpEx, and, and that's what's driving the positive
2: adjusted EBITDA for Q4. Hey, Corey, this is Andy. Thank again. you. I'll just uh, – if I could just wrap it, I'll just add that, I, you know, I feel good about our commitment to achieving positive adjusted EBITDA for the full year 2024, and uh, obviously with continued improvements after that. I also feel good about continuing to invest in our business. Uh, while also meeting those targets. So, um, you know, things are looking good for us right now.
0: Thank you. Thanks. Our next question comes from the line of Michael Nathanson with Moffitt Nathanson. Thanks.
4: Hey, Charlie, I have two for you. One is, as you noted in the press release, Roku channel is up 50% year over year. You talk a bit about what's changed on your watch in terms of how you program it versus previously. And then secondly, we'll focus on Amazon entering the market for um, prime video ads. What do you think it means for more broadly the ecosystem and then any competition that you think you'll hit as they, they enter uh, for prime video advertising? Thanks.
2: Hey, Michael, this is Anthony. Why don't we, why don't we start with the about video ads and competitors and um, and then Charlie gonna uh, expand on the rest of your question so you know just I just I would say you know first of all we're the leading TV streaming platform it's a great position to be in we get asked about market dynamics a lot you know we founded Roku on the belief that all TV including advertising uh, is going to be streamed and we're obviously seeing that Seeing that happen, we're well into that transition, but there's still a long way to go. Traditional TV ads in the U.S., as everyone probably knows, is a $60 billion a year business. It's all going to move to streaming, and there's going to be multiple winners. Our platform obviously has significant scale, engagement, first-party data, unique ad products. You know, and like we said before, in the U.S., our scale is approaching half of broadband households. You know that makes us a tremendously important platform to be in, uh, be involved in for everyone in the ecosystem. Our streaming hours passed 100 billion hours, a great milestone for us. The Roku channel, uh, you know, as Charlie will talk more about, but it's our it's a top 10 streaming app uh, on our platform and represents nearly 3% of all TV streaming in September, not just on Roku but across everywhere, which is comparable to the engagement of apps like Paramount Plus, Peacock, and Max. So, you know. We're in a great position. We're a strong um, part of the ecosystem. We're executing well. Uh, and if I think about, you know, a couple of factors that would impacting our the growth of our video ad business specifically, the most important one, which we've mentioned before and continues to be the most important, is just the macro as well. One is the macro environment, which, you know, is um, is impacting everyone right now. And then, the, But the second one is just how fast advertisers move from traditional TV to streaming uh, you know there's still a lot of dollars that are in the traditional pay TV ecosystem that are all going to move to streaming and that's the that's a big factor in terms of our growth and I think as services like you know uh, services that were traditionally ad free start start to add ads it does have the benefit of um, creating more interest in move, of advertisers and moving their ads to streaming. So that's a positive benefit for us. Um, and then I think, you know, another thought I have, that maybe most people don't think about, is if you think about the Roku channel, uh, you know, as popular streaming services make the trade-off to add ads, it levels the playing field in viewers' minds, the services like the Roku channel, which are already ad-supported. Uh, in other words, the streamer in streaming services that don't traditionally have ads as they enter the advertising business, you know, I believe it's going to increase engagement on the Roku channel. So those are a few high-level thoughts. Um, and then Charles, you want to sure your thoughts?
4: Yeah, thanks for the question, Michael. Thanks, Anthony. Uh, look, you know, we we've done a a lot of uh, curation uh, on the Roku channel, and we feel really good about. Um, You know, our our opportunities there, Michael, to continue to grow. Uh, Really, our focus is on bringing the right mix of content to the Roku channel, content that our customers love and and watch across what is really that curated mix of licensed uh, content, the fast channels, and and original content. And uh, to sort of summarize or prioritize for you, originals are a key part of our strategy, and I'm proud of the team and our our efficient and and impact-driving efforts. But the foundation of Roku's content spend is third-party licensed content that we service for viewers through Roku's unique UI advantages. You know our position uh, as the platform is extremely powerful. Probably, uh, I, I would say more powerful than I anticipated even coming in when we first spoke. And, and it, you know we have great programming overall, and, and the numbers and the engagement growth prove that our content mix is is working well. You know the Roku channel has grown streaming hours 50% year on year. And so just like, you know, I did at AMC and other places I've led, we're very serious about managing the library and we frequently tweak it. In fact, uh, we review the Roku channel's content and and the content performance often simply to ensure that viewers have the best possible experiences. That's the job, uh, to adjust the mix of offerings and uh, do so to the benefit of audiences, and, and that process has helped us grow, and, and the engagement is growing consistently. And we, we see continued growth ahead across all key content categories, uh, starting with that direct license, as I mentioned, including the fast channels, uh, and, and even sports, and focus in budget originals. You know, uh, we have 400-plus fast uh, channels, linear fast channels and they're gaining in traction. Fans noticed that our NFL partnership continued to grow, and the NFL zone launched within our sports zone in September, and Roku Originals mirrored that and premiered the NFL draft, the pick is in. I think you just saw a clip if you were waiting on the call. Uh, Applebee's sponsored that, and that provided insider access to the NFL draft in partnership with the NFL, sitting side-by-side with our expanded NFL partnership. And then we did innovative stuff like, We launched the Mr. Beast Fast Channel, working with one of the most popular YouTube creators. I think he has something like 176 million YouTube subscribers. And that was both strategic and accretive. And it was an exclusive launch that our audiences loved, and it performed real well. So we're we're on strategy, Michael, and and see growth ahead. We will continue to release new content and new partnerships on the Roku channel. And and I'm pleased with the team and and our process and, and our progress.
2: And this is Anthony again. Maybe I'll just point out an important component of our Roku channel business model, which I think a lot of people understand, but maybe not everyone, which is that Roku's big strategic advantage is that um, we're the platform that a large number of people use to watch television. So, you know, approaching half the broadband households in the United States, when they turn on their TV, the UI that they see is the Roku user interface. And, um, And so one way we use that is to help recommend content to our, we use it to recommend content that's in the Roku channel to viewers, obviously we use it to recommend all kinds of content, but we also insert uh, and make sure that we promote content that's in the Roku channel in our user interface when they're deciding what what to watch. And so, you know, that position in the viewer journey is a big competitive advantage and it allows us to grow the scale and engagement in the Roku channel um, with much smaller content budgets than other, other companies that have similar scale have to spend in order to reach that sort of, in order to achieve that kind of reach. And so it's a big competitive advantage in our business model.
0: Thank you both. Our next question comes from a line of Jason Helstein with Oppenheimer.
5: Thanks, Uh, two questions. Um, Sorry, there was an icon um what how much further does the company plan to go with dsp integrations i think you called out 30 over 30 in the in the letter um are you fully deployed with the major dsps and agency trading desks just maybe help us understand what inning and then second question dan can you give us your philosophy for guidance like what's a reasonable kind of upside downside range even if no numbers, just philosophically. I think just that would help investors kind of better set expectations. Thank you.
2: Hey, Jason, uh, this is Anthony. You know, um, we're making great progress with third-party DSGs, but it's still early in sort of our journey there and and tapping into that demand source, but I'll let uh, Charlie talk about it more. Thanks.
4: Thanks, Jason. Uh, We are seeing full success with our early efforts to scale third-party DSPs. We've broadened our relationships with a, a full spectrum of not just third-party DSPs, but also third-party supply and demand partners. Uh, we're, as you noted, uh, you know, we're, we're there with over 30 programmatic partners, both big and small, to answer your question. And we're spending, um, we're seeing them spend on the Roku platform through automated third-party demand sources uh, and, and also, you know obviously directly with us. And, and that grew meaningfully year over year in the third quarter. You know, a lot of it has to do with a concerted effort to meet marketers uh, where they wish to transact, uh, and that's been successful. It allows us to diversify demand and to demonstrate the full power and breadth of of Roku's capabilities, really no matter how an investment in Roku is transacted. And and it also has allowed us to be a really flexible partner uh, in multiple ways across the markets we serve. So the initial results uh, prove the benefits of the strategy. And beyond just growing revenue, the feedback's been terrific, uh, and we're often called our our partner's most productive supplier uh, of CTV impressions. And and, and as Anthony said, the good news is these are still early days. I, I should say there's no silver bullet. You know, the programmatic market faces the same overall macro challenges as other marketplaces, including categories like insurance that are not back as robustly as several other categories. Uh, Overall, though, our our embrace of third-party partners of all kinds continues and and the results should continue to be positive. You know, we work sort of client by client to set up the best ways to build their businesses and to prove the unique value of Roku. I I do want to note, I I sort of say this every quarter, but it's important, Uh, you know, much of our unique first-party and ACR data, along with our specialized ad products, our original programming and many of the unique elements of the Roku UI, which deliver at a scale that few others can offer. I mean, these features will continue to remain accessible only through Roku. And it's this diversity of market facing options that allows us to manage both demand diversification in on the one hand, and then product and pricing distinction on the other.
3: Uh, hi, Jason. I'll, I'll take the second part of that question uh, on guidance. Um, you know obviously we performed far better uh, than what we said um, when we issued uh, our AK in early September. And uh, the reason for that was uh, we did have a 606 adjustment that um, we talked about in the letter uh, that I talked about earlier. Um, we had a great uh, September and NQ3 on, uh, on video ads revenue. We had a very strong content distribution, um, quarter as well. And, and we saw the opportunity to go uh, even uh, a little deeper in our, um, in our operating cost savings. And so a lot of that played into what resulted in Q3. And you know, going forward, the, the ad market is, is, you know, is, is variable. It's challenging. A lot of ads are running closer to air date. That does some, create some variability within a quarter. It's a very uneven ad market recovery uh, we're doing our best to forecast that. We we think we've got a good handle on that. Content distribution activities is less seasonal um, and slightly more predictable. But the guidance is to give the best view that we have uh, at the start of the quarter um, uh, when we give the guidance. So it's not – I wouldn't say it's, like, overly conservative. It's not overly aggressive. We don't give a range for a reason. We give what we believe is our best view uh, at the time that we give this call.
5: Thank you.
0: Our next question comes from the line of Shweta Karjuria with Evercore ISI.
6: Thank you for taking my questions. Um, Could you please uh, provide some color on what drove the (laughs) NetAds? Acceleration specifically, you pointed to a couple of things in your letter, but anything that you can point to if it was uh, specific to this quarter or something that was one time or uh, just the trends that you saw. And my next question is, anything you want to call out on macro? There are a couple of other advertising platforms that did call out impact from the Israel war. Anything that you saw or just the overall brand sentiment right now and in Q3? Thank you. This is Anthony.
2: Um, I'll ask Ms. Baffer to see if he has any color on uh, no, what drove our net ads in the quarter? And then, I think your secondary question was about political ads, which, which, which the, war. the war. Oh, the war. Yeah. The war. The war on it. Uh, but uh, so Charlie, Charlie can say. Yeah, hi, Shredder. It's Mr. Papa. Uh,
5: thank you for the question. Uh, in terms of the the drivers of the net ads in the quarter. Uh, you know, it's a combination of uh, strong growth in the international markets uh, as well as in the uh, U.S. market. Yeah, although we're approaching half of the broadband households in the U.S., we still continue to grow, and I still see uh, growth opportunities uh, as the shift to streaming is, uh, is happening in the U.S. and followed by the international markets. Uh, overall, both the. Uh, TV devices and the player devices uh, were contributing to the growth uh, in general. Uh, TVs are slightly higher than the players uh, because of the international markets and we have a strong uh, share of uh, TVs uh, at the players uh, because of the, uh, the mix of the devices used by the consumers in those markets. Overall, uh, you know, uh, just looking at the international, a bit, we are doing really well in Latin America. Uh, in Mexico, we are the number one selling TV OS, launched the Roku channel, which continues to grow uh, in re- uh, reach and engagement. Uh, and we are beginning to monetize in Mexico. And again, the improvements that we're doing in engagement and then the you know, improvements we're doing with the distribution with our TV partners and with our player devices, we see continue to grow in Mexico. Um, uh, again, we have more than uh, 10 uh, TV partners in Mexico, and they're all growing their market share, and that's helping us to get, again, the number one uh, selling TD OS in Mexico. Equally, we're growing in other markets like Brazil. Uh, you know, we have a strong growth in Brazil. And uh, just like Mexico, Brazil is a large country in terms of uh, number of households, so that's helping us to drive our uh, net ads. I'll
3: just add really quick to that. on um, uh, um, The international uh, is definitely um, a big uh, – Tailwind for us, uh, but on the ARPU side, uh, which of course takes the actives into account, um, well, we were down 7% uh, at 4103 year on year. We did see a sequential change. That's on a 12 month trail basis. We did see a sequential growth um, in uh, in ARPU, which is a big positive, despite a very solid uh, net active ads quarter. And then, you know, we also look at it on quarterly. We don't. Um, we don't uh, share it out, but the quarterly uh, ARPU um, also had a year-on-year change, uh, positive change. So really good ARPU um, in addition to a very
1: strong net active ads for the
2: quarter. Hi, this is Anthony again. I'll add just a couple other observations about net ads. One is, um, you yep, we are starting to see a shift in, in consumers' minds to selecting value-oriented products, and you know we excel in the value segment of TVs. So that that's what helped that helped us, and then. Um, it's also, I think, we also continue to see consumers selecting larger screen size Roku TVs, which is, which is also beneficial because they tend to, you know, be consumers that it, the, the larger screen sizes tend to be in the main room of the house, and so it's a great spot to be in. Um, and then, Charlie,
1: you want to talk about? Sure. The, yeah. Thanks
4: part. for uh, the Thanks for the question about the, the conflict. You know, thus far, we are not seeing uh, a direct impact to ad spend. From the conflict you know uh would of course, like most companies uh experience impact from it to the extent that it affects the macro environment, but again uh we're not seeing a direct impact that has been from it yet,
0: okay, thank you very much Our next question comes from a line of Ruplu Bhattacharya with Bank of america
7: uh hi, thanks for taking my questions and. Congrats on the quarter. My first question is on the upfronts. Uh, can you give some more details, like uh, how did upfront pricing compare to last year? I mean, I think last year you said you had one billion plus in commitments. I mean, did you continue to gain share? So any details on specifically on the pricing? Because as you, in the scatter market, as you open up uh, your DSP to working with third-party DSPs, are you open to price discovery below that level of the upfronts? And so how 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 do you trade off uh, the fill rate versus CPMS and and margins?
2: This is Anthony Charlie, obviously you can
4: take that question. I'm okay. hoping oh, so you take it. No. All right. Uh, thanks, Ruflo. Uh, look, I'm, I'm not going to break out the upfronts, uh, except to say you'll be pleased with our numbers overall, whether they come in the broadcast upfront uh, calendar, upfront or as the blend you just described. I'll, I'll start by saying, look, I'm pleased to report uh, that we did do well in terms of total upfront dollars to the platform. Uh, you know, it's interesting, as I said in last quarter's earnings call, this year was a very different one for everyone uh, across the industry because it proceeded at such a slower pace than usual. And, and despite the pace, it closed on time as, as we knew it would and, and we're pleased with the outcome. Uh, it was interesting to me because the sales team pretty much pivoted from closing the upfront right into focusing on scatter. And one trend you see is advertisers are still spending – closer to air dates. Uh, I think that'll continue, and we certainly saw evidence of that in the third quarter. So when I look at total dollars, we did well. Uh, We continue to take share from the overall TV market because of a combination of our unique scale, the data we offer, and compelling Roku-only offerings. Uh, Again, business tends to keep coming in late, as, as we keep highlighting, but the ad recovery itself is uneven, as Dan mentioned, across categories. So that's just making uh, forecasting particularly challenging. But as broadcast and and linear entertainment impressions continue to decline, Roku, as a reminder by the way, global hours on Roku grew 22% year-over-year, while linear hours in the U.S. declined 15%, so the the gap is significant. So as this continues, I I believe CTV in general and, and Roku specifically will continue to be planned and bought earlier in the process. So overall advertising engage with Roku on the upfront I talked a little bit about our, our third-party DSPs we're seeing great engagement there too and, and we're seeing again later than usual but we're seeing uh, that engagement scatter as well uh, you know we, we've talked a lot about having nearly half the broadband households in the US and, and the unique advantages of that scale in our data and our ad products like Roku City or shoppable ads or, or some of the powerful tools we use to attract and engage and and retain audiences. I think all of that is what's uh, seeing us drive that success.
7: Got it. And just for a quick follow-up, if M&E spend remains weak, are there things you can do to monetize the home screen and screen saver differently? That is uh,
4: diversify to other end markets.
7: So any thoughts there? Thank you so much, and congrats on the quarter. Yeah. Well,
4: thank you, and thanks for the
2: question. Uh, yeah. Well, let me let me uh, let me start on M&E. Sure Charlie has things to say on that topic as well. So, you know, um I think well first of all, you know, I'll just say that as I said before, we're the number one T V streaming platform. We distribute lots of streaming services and apps and content. We're, you know, often, if not usually their number one distribution platform on television. And you know, this this relationship, this the scale of our relationship with viewers and with content apps, generates a lot of different revenue streams for us beyond just M&E, and you can see this in our Q3 results. You know, in Q3, M&E was pressured, but we still do the platform revenue 18%. And so those are, so that you know, that implies obviously that these other revenue streams are doing well. Uh, you know, and then when it comes to M&E promotions specifically, just in case everyone doesn't know what that that is, you know, as we as we expose the TV viewing UI to our viewers, and as they browse around, we integrate promotions for different types of content into the user experience. And we do it in ways that are effective in driving engagement, you know, ways that build subscriptions, but also ways that are super viewer-friendly, so it's, a you know, something we're good at. We put a lot of effort into it. It's a win-win for everyone. Uh, it's good for our business. It leverages the fact that, you know, one of our key assets is, is the user interface for selecting content. Uh, so it's an area that we continue to invest in, uh, an area that I think we're best in class in, um, an area that we're going to continue to invest in. And, you know, EMI is down right now because of the current state of the economy and the AD cycle, but it's an area that I think has long-term potential. Um, I don't know, Charlie, do you want to add your sure. thoughts on M&E?
4: Sure. Thanks, Anthony. And, and Rupert, thanks for the congratulations. You know, we, we talked a lot about diversifying demand. And and Anthony talked about integrating, you know, all sorts of different advertisers uh, and promotion into the uh, UI beyond M&E, and and that's right. And and maybe I'll just add that stepping back, I think it's good to think uh, about how versatile a partner Roku is, uh, both to M&E and to other advertisers who need to prove that their marketing is working. We have top of the funnel and bottom of the the funnel impact, and, and we're building upon it. So. Just on M&E, look, we're a business builder for our media and entertainment partners, not just a place for them to invest. And that's because we make their services and content. We, we use the word unmissable a lot, unmissable across the full funnel from broad reach acquisition right through to engagement. And in the case of M&E partners on Roku, that literally means, right, you see their ads on our platform and the integrations Anthony talked about, and a viewer will click here and watch the video here too. So that that is the ultimate endemic advertiser for us, and and we're starting to see that impact beyond M and E. So we're effective and accountable. And what's interesting is we're finding each of our partners has individual ways of seeing the power of the Roku platform to help them build their business. And, and so simultaneously, we can benefit the customers, or really, you know, the the consumers, the advertisers, and our M and E channel partners. And, and we sort of relish all three. Opportunities. Uh, Anthony talked about the short-term pain uh, that the M&E category is facing because of the difficult ad sales market, limited fall release schedules, and the general uncertainty. And, and you know, I mentioned earlier that you know last fourth quarter there was some pretty big promotional moments from the World Cup to midterm elections. But uh, I got to tell you, the temporary economic cycles do not dampen uh, the enormous opportunity that we see in working with our streaming partners. Um, we just have the reach and the scale and the powerful tools both to win ourselves, but also to help them win. Uh, just a few examples, you know, we produce some branded content that builds viewer loyalty. one of our partners actually uh, leans on advanced Roku machine learning to optimize their creative executions for them so they can proactively reduce churn and improve winbacks. And there's lots of examples like this, and it's not just the large partners. This is really effective media. And if you're a Roku user, you probably noticed uh, that a couple weeks ago we had a fan experience around the new season of Apple's The Morning Show. And this content was exclusively available on the Roku platform. It included unlocked new material, free episodes, exclusive interviews, and a three-month free extended trial for Apple TV Plus subscribers. So the breadth and depth of this promotion is a perfect example of what I've been talking about Uh, In this, you know, question, but answering a couple others, we're the right place for M&E and other partners to invest to build engagement, and we'll do more of it, and we'll measure it uniquely uh, for them, and we'll prove the impact.
2: And this is uh, Anthony again. Just maybe touch back on your question, the the other part of your question, which was, you know, what's beyond M&E in the user experience, I think is sort of how I interpreted that question. And, you know, um, it's the innovating ways – to create ways for viewers to discover content and also to create experiences that they find compelling in our user interface and then integrate promotion, marketing, sales into those experiences is a is a big part of our strategy of monetizing our install base. And so, you know, and it's an area that we have invested in historically, I think we lead in it. And it's an area that we continue to invest in. Just some examples, you know, when we launched the sports zone, for example, which is a big pain point for viewers, how do they find which of the many streaming services their favorite game is being played on currently um, you know it was it was that that sports experience when we launched it was sponsored by T-Mobile so which is not a traditional M&E advertiser for us and then another example you know Roku City has become super popular with our viewers it's become a cultural phenomenon you know it used to have only uh, ME based ads we started adding buildings like we added the McDonald's building for example mm-hmm. which is a big hit Uh, So these are the kinds of things that we're doing, and and these are things that – these are promotions and advertising and viewer experiences that everyone loves. You know, advertisers love them. Our viewers love them. So it's a big – it's certainly a huge area of focus for us.
6: Thanks for all the details.
0: Our next question comes from the line of Stephen Cahill with Wells Fargo.
4: Thank you. Um, Sorry if I missed this
3: earlier, but as we just look at the gross margin performance of platform in the quarter, is it right to think about some of the uh, year-on-year and sequential weakness as being driven by the M&E market, uh, that that's some of the highest gross margin revenue? And so as that trends into Q4 and could even be a little bit weak in Q1, should we just be thinking about a little bit of pressure? So I would love love some color there. Um, and then, Dan, when you think about the OPEX growth heading out, uh, sorry, heading down to mid-teens in Q4, you know, you've done a lot on cost. There was some in the 8K, uh, and I think you've continued to work on it. Is that a good way for us to think about some of the early part of 2024 as well? I know you'll hit a tough comp by the end of 2024, but, you know, can OPEX be down mid-teens? I know you've had investment projects in the past. Just want to make sure uh, if that's a decent run rate or if there's anything more
6: ahead on the OPEX side. Thank you.
3: Yeah, I'll take that. Thanks for the question, Stephen. Um, on the gross margin side, uh, the platform gross margin of 56%, uh, backing out the impairment charges that we talked about for Q3 was a very strong gross margin uh, quarter for us. It was up three points sequentially. As we look, as you look forward, and yes, uh, on a year-over-year basis, there is an impact on the mix of uh, M&E. It is, it is our highest, one of our highest margin uh, products within uh, within advertising, um, and there's also different margin structures within the different uh, content distribution activities, as well as within um, you know display versus video versus M and E advertising. So when we look at margins, you know we look at them and we want all of them to go up and to the right as we improve margins. But we're very focused on uh, absolute gross profit dollars, which leads to absolute free cash flow, which which is obviously a north star for us. But to answer your question on guidance, we did have a 606 adjustment in Q3 that did add 200 basis points of margin uh, to platform. Um, you know, uh, we don't, I, I, there's no guidance to give for that because of course that depends on the forecast that we have at the end of the quarter for 606 adjustments. But we do feel good about go, about gross margins, x that 606 adjustments and where they're on a go forward basis. But mix will play an impact. On that, uh, based on, um, you know, the M&E market, which does continue to remain challenged. And, and we're expecting that, uh, that, uh, uh, that business to be challenged going forward. So, um, that gives you a little bit of color on, on how to think about gross margins. Um, to your question on OpEx, we guided, uh, to, um, a gross profit of 405, 4Q4 and an EBITDA of 10. Uh, you all will do the math that puts OpEx, you know, in that five. 100 to 510 um, uh, range uh, from a you know go-for perspective. We'll give more guidance uh, for 2024 uh, next quarter when we do Q4 results, but I would anticipate, you know, low single-digit growth rates from a run rate basis off that. Um, but we're, um, you know, because we are focused on driving towards the positive adjusted EBITDA, but we're also going to balance that with growth and look at uh, positive ROI initiatives and invest in those as we look at, to expand our, our scale um, and our monetization
0: thank you our next question comes from a line of David Joyce with seaport research partners
1: thank you um, could you please uh, discuss your thoughts about uh, the carriage deals in the legacy world such as charter and disney where the streaming apps are becoming more prevalent uh, on those cable systems how might that impact your business model or plans uh, and if you could marry that thought with you know the increasing pricing on the streaming services do you, uh, how do you think the consumers reacting to uh, to all of the the streaming choice out there and and the pricing versus the, the legacy model in terms of how that could impact uh, your your streaming uh, trajectory? Hey, David,
2: this is Anthony. Um, well, I think, you know, at a high level, the agreements like you just highlighted also highlight the importance of streaming in the current and the future TV ecosystem. So, you know, the fact that pay TV operators are more actively... Trying to promote streaming offerings, I think um, just so it shows it just makes it very clear that streaming is the future. And you know, we're the number one streaming platform in the United States. We're in a great position to continue to benefit as the world and the country shifts to streaming. Uh,
0: you know, the, in, in the
2: U.S., for example, our active account base is bigger than the largest three pay TV providers combined, uh, which you know is awesome. I think when we started Roku. People would have thought that would never happen. We're the number one TV streaming platform in the country by our streams. You know, and these both uh, we built both of these positions while competing with very large competitors. So, um, you know, so I think you know we're well positioned to continue to monetize viewer activity engagement
6: on our platform,
2: no matter where the viewers obtain their streaming, streaming, streaming subscription credentials. So you know, I just think we're in a great position and uh, you know, these these pay TV companies are trying to figure out how to, you know, make the transition to streaming, but you know, it's going to be very tricky and very difficult for them to do that. Uh, And And if you look at the Roku platform, you know, it serves not just viewers that are cord cutters and the, you know, just sign up for Netflix and YouTube and the Roku channel, but also uh, you know, we, we do serve pay TV operators, pay TV customers. Virtual TV services are very popular, even non-virtual TV services. Like, for example, I personally live in a Spectrum area, and uh, I use Roku, obviously, to watch television, but I also subscribe to the Spectrum app, which is a great app on Roku as well. So, you know, I think that uh, we're great at selling subscriptions. We monetize all viewer activity, not just by selling subscriptions, uh, and we monetize viewers no matter how they obtain their streaming credentials. And we're, you know, extremely well positioned to continue to do well as the uh, world shifts to streaming.
4: I think our big headline is going to be that you watch TV
2: through Roku. Yeah, surprising <laughs> And I have a paid TV. Subscription. Right, <clears throat> but it's through the Spectrum app on Roku. Uh,
1: all right, appreciate okay. it. Thank, uh, it. thank, thank you. Question.
2: Oh, and then you asked about the impact of increasing – the price increases on streaming. I mean, you know, uh, it's it's a natural evolution of the ecosystem. It, it will rise. It will raise overall streaming revenue. Uh, and, you know, I think we've seen so far it's been good for our business because we have a large business distributing content services. Uh, we do billing. You know, we have revenue share arrangements. We have a lot of different arrangements that – results in that being positive for our business overall.
0: Our next question comes from the line of Rich Greenfield with Lightshed Partners.
1: Hi, thanks for taking the question. Um, You know, Anthony, a lot of your streaming partners, your media and entertainment companies, are losing billions of dollars. Wall Street's putting a lot of pressure on them. I'm sure you've seen their stock prices at multi year even multi-decade lows. What can Roku do to help them accelerate revenue growth and reduce costs? Like what are the options or what types of creative things can you do to help these companies that are really struggling in their streaming businesses? Thank you. Well, I mean, as they transform their businesses to streaming-first companies, I mean, there's a lot of ways we can
2: help them. You know, we, that's what we do, actually, at our core, is connect viewers with streaming services and advertisers. And we do it in a lot of different ways. We have a lot of products that can help them build their businesses, whether they're, whether they're trying to build an ad-supported business or whether they're trying to build a subscription business. You know, we, we spend a lot of time putting those features into our platform, thinking deeply about it. And, um, and so just in terms of effectiveness for them, and spending dollars to make the transition to streaming and to sign up new subscribers, we're by far their most efficient and effective platform to do that, marketing platform. So that's one. Two is um, there's different ways to, for those companies to distribute their service. They can create apps, and a lot of companies are trying to do that. Uh, but that's a heavy lift. I mean, when you do your own direct to, direct to consumer service, create your own app, you know, it requires a lot of technical expertise. It requires a lot of marketing expertise. It requires a lot of uh, a lot of money to to acquire customers and retain customers and build user experiences and the other way is for those companies to work with Roku and integrate into our overall user user experience with what we call premium subscriptions, which is a way for them to offer s services but without doing the heavy lifting of building their own app and figuring out how to become data science experts and, uh, you know, and how to build engagement uh, when people might be using it, customers might be in a different user experience. And so those are that's another way that uh, a content partner or an app, or sorry, a a studio that's a sorry, a, company, a streaming company a, company, a media company that's transitioning to streaming you know, can much more efficiently uh, build their business without building a lot of new streaming expertise and with focusing more on what they're good at, which is the content and their programming. So those are a few examples. I don't know if, it, if, it, if it, anyone, Charlie, do you, you have
4: any? You know, Rich, one thing we talk about a lot is, is Roku is a really powerful engagement engine So as people are moving from certainly uh, subscription services to now, you know, embracing ad sales, we can help them drive engagement. And and we're seeing that a lot. You know, it's a really big shift, even psychically, moving from trying to get people to subscribe and not churn to getting them to watch the shows and the commercials. And so we're really good at driving engagement and we're having – Uh, a lot of uh, positive response and seeing the impact of our media uh, as we help our M&E partners drive engagement. And then another thing we're doing is windowing differently with the studios. So you're going to see a lot. We're very efficient, as Anthony said, with respect to our programming costs. And uh, we're a really good partner for the studios as well in that respect because we're a, a window that hasn't existed before and we can monetize it in different ways because of the power of the UI that uh, Anthony mentioned.
0: Thank you. Our next question comes from a line of Ben Swinburne with Morgan Stanley. Thanks, guys. Uh, two questions.
6: Oh, there's an echo. Okay, it's gone. Um, I want to ask you guys about live Live programming. You guys mentioned in the letter quite a bit growth in live and the investments in live and I think back to years ago people probably thought live T V was gonna die and streaming would be all on demand. Um what what is any sense for how much of your viewing is you know done through live viewing and whether that's an opportunity for you guys in terms of monetization? I would imagine it would have greater ad loads, maybe, you know, greater overall engagement levels and um I think a lot of the investments you guys have made in content and product are around driving fast channels and a lot of the Roku channel is built, particularly sports, around live. So I'd love to hear some thoughts on, on whether that's that's something we should be thinking about as a tail into the business. And then I just wanted to ask Dan on the North Star comment on free cash flow. You guys generated, I think, about $150 year to date. Uh, any expectations? You can share those for the year or the fourth quarter just to get a sense for what you think ReCasual might shake out it for 2023. Thanks so much.
2: Thanks, Ben, this is Anthony. I'll take the first part on live and then Dan obviously will take the second part. So yeah, I mean, you know, well, first of all, let me just define live. So live in the streaming world, at least on our platform, means content that is truly live, like a sports game, you know, or a, uh, an award show. But it also means content that is just programmed linearly. You know, because it's hard to you know yeah. he's, he's calling it yeah. a, calling it a linear channel. I'm just explaining this for other listeners. So, so, when you call it a linear channel, that doesn't you know the viewers don't respond to that. So we call the whole category of linear viewing live, and then and live is something we've been focused on on for at least a couple of years now. And we built out a lot of great experiences to promote live content. You know, there's a live menu in our left hand nav on our home screen. Uh, we built an EPG the you know, electronic program guide, which is sort of like a traditional cable box UI for live programming. That's also very popular. Um, and we continue to put a lot of effort into things like our machine learning algorithms, drive viewing of live. Uh, and, this, and it's very popular. It surprised me, actually, how popular it is. I, I was one of those yeah. people who thought maybe it would fade away, but it's, that's not true. It turns out there's lots of people that um, don't want to don't pick a show. They just want to flip through a few channels and... Find something that catches their attention. So it's a big growth area for us. It'll probably continue to be a big growth area, it's especially uh, it's especially important internationally, where linear is still super big. So um, you know, this, there's a lot, a lot of different categories of con- different types of content, whether it's live or VOD, AVOD, or SVOD, or TVOD, um, and we put a lot of effort into all those types of content. But live, yeah, live is a is popular and growing fast.
4: We're also actually airing some live events. You know, we have Formula E coming up and uh we we've done some great work with, with um Miss Universe pageant and, and, and so there are opportunities there, but but also live is confusing often to the viewer the way so many of these sports packages are being split up. So Anthony mentioned it earlier, but our sports zone is an incredible tool for you know, viewers to figure out how to navigate. And actually the consumer experience team does an amazing job. Helping viewers navigate to the live events that they'd like to find, so that's another platform advantage as well. They come through our front door, we make it delightful and simple for them to find what they want to watch and, and get where they want to go.
2: I mean, you know, we're always looking for ways to help our viewers. So, for example, we have something called Tune In Reminders, which is a way for a viewer to like be reminded when a live event is about to air, and they can click on an ad for for an event, uh, you know, and they can schedule a Tune In Reminder for them, where they'll get a notice. So uh, it's definitely an area we're also innovating in as well.
3: Uh on free cash flow, uh thanks for the question on that. And yes, you're right. Uh uh through three quarters we're at about a hundred and sixty one million of positive free cash flow, two hundred and thirty-nine million in this most recent quarter. We're very really focused on free cash flow. Um and um with respect to uh Q four, uh we will have some restructuring charges that get paid out in Q four. Um so I need to wait and see like timing of that relative to our working capital. Uh, Obviously, Q4 is a big um, uh, advertising quarter for us, but a lot of that collection doesn't come until Q1. And then Q1 also is a big um, uh, payment for us through some of our sales and marketing channels. But that said, you know, I think that EBITDA is a very good proxy for free cash flow. Um, We, after several quarters of being capital intense, we are now capital light. Uh, and so EBITDA is going to be a pretty good proxy of free cash flow with some fluctuations in working capital from quarter to quarter.
0: Thanks, everyone. That concludes our question and answer session. I'd like to turn the call back to Anthony Wood for closing remarks.
2: Thanks, everyone, for joining. Thanks to our employees, customers, content partners, and advertisers. Thanks Thanks for attending our call today.
0: This concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect.